here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. It's Justin Marshall and Ricardo Ball with the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run on SENZ. This is SENZ, uh, the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall with you. Uh, we have the quarterfinals done and dusted. We know our semi-finalists. And Marshall, in the end, was all pretty straightforward, except maybe that Brumbies-Canes game. Good afternoon to you, Ricardo, and everyone joining us for the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Uh, yeah, look, mate, um, I guess it played out the way that we thought it was going to. I... Honestly, thought there might be a little bit more drama. To be to be perfectly uh, clear, in terms of the way that the the structure had set itself out and the, and the teams that were involved, um, that th there could be an upset. But uh, you're pretty much bang on when you say that it played out the way most people would have thought. I, I guess the one talking point to probably come out of it, many may have thought that the Hurricanes would have beaten the Brumbies. Apart from that, everything went according to script, I think. Yeah, I mean, and on that, I mean, the the Hurricanes were in a position to beat the Brumbies. I mean, the Brumbies were up, uh, sorry, you know, had a man uh, sent off reasonably early on and the Canes at that yeah. point had a, had a lead. I, I did wonder, did, did they miss a trick when the red went? Because they were on attack. They were inside the 22 and they decided to take the three um, because we saw on the flip side when Owen Franks got sent to the bin, the Brumbies didn't take the kick, uh, and it was 14 on 14. They decided to to have a crack, and they scored a try. Um, so do you think they might have missed a trick, the Canes, to maybe increase that margin early in the game? Um, yeah, it's a good question. It's a valid question, and I think it's about that balance between, you know, the, the, the fact that you're not chasing that bonus point, that it is knockout football and you know you, the decisions that you make have a massive impact on the game and you know when it comes down to captaincy and thinking about situation scenarios players in the bin uh, momentum um, under penalty pressure you know what you can get out of this, the, the game at that stage of the game you know those decisions become much more prevalent than what they do in round robin because you know ultimately it's survival, isn't it? Yeah. You know, like in the round robin, you don't get the, the the try from going for touch or whatever. You end up losing the game. You go all the way back to the point and go, oh, you know what, man, maybe we should have taken a different option here. But you're still playing next week. But whereas when it comes to finals football, you're not. And yeah, look, I, I thought 
the Hurricanes surprised me that I thought they were more passive than they would be. I thought they were a side entering into that game probably you would have to say as underdogs, albeit the Brumbies had been in a real horrible patch themselves. And and to rub that in, getting beaten by one Pacifica uh, in Auckland, you know, just didn't help their, wouldn't have helped their confidence. So I thought they were vulnerable. And I thought if the Hurricanes come out with the right attitude and threw, threw everything at them, the kitchen sink at them, particularly early doors, that they could really um, tap into that lack of confidence, but they didn't really, they didn't really fire. I don't think, well, you know, like I thought they were at times they looked really good, but I don't think on the night they, if they, when they review it, I don't think they will be pleased with the way they sort of played out their 80 minutes and, and little instances, like you said, were part of that. Yeah. I mean, especially a, a team, you know, with TJ and um, Artie and, and Dane Coles, um, in it, you expect a lot of fight mm. and a lot of fire from from those three, uh, if, if not else, the other 12, you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, And they've got a lot of experience here that's been to finals rugby before, you know? You throw Owen Franks into the mix, Geordie Barrett, um, you know, even the likes of Proctor, you know, a lot of guys out there, uh, Wes Hlisson, but they, they have got guys that have um, been to big games before and performed. You know, I think about that Hurricane side, few years ago that went down to, to Christchurch and beat the Crusaders, you know, like a lot of those guys that we've all just, that we've just mentioned, apart from Iron Franks, obviously, were all part of that. So big, big game environment shouldn't have faced them. They should, they should have not been overwhelmed by the situation, not been worried about it being a knockout game um, and probably have known the circumstances around not competing on the day, you know, not, not giving everything you've got because, you know, the, the, the consequences of that, uh, that you're out of the competition. So uh, put it this way, mate, there's, it's not often that I, I, I say that I'm disappointed that the Hurricanes haven't gone out there and, and played their potential. But I, I thought if they did, that they could win that game. And I don't think they delivered on the night. Really? I, I certainly felt like they left a lot of what they, what, what they can give a game. I don't think they, they put into that game last night. I guess the one silver lining from a New Zealand rugby point of view is with Dalton Papali'i, Sam Kane and Ethan Blackout are all question marked. Artie Savi is going to be nice and fresh come Ireland. <laughs> yeah, no, he is, absolutely. And it is a good point. You know, the, 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 I guess the conundrum that we're facing and moving forward um, p- past Super Rugby and, and leading into this Irish series is, you know, where he fits in. And, you know, do, do, do you dare to say he doesn't actually fit in when it, in the starting lineup because mm. of the way that we want to evolve and change the way we play, that he, he becomes an impact player? Um, you know, like, is he, is, is he at the moment the type of player that we want starting at number eight? You know, like, <laughs> which is where he, he has been playing and playing so well. He's been playing the house down at number eight for the Hurricanes. But the... the, the the problematic part of this is, is that the future of how we want a number eight, you know, of that size? Yes, he's got power. Is he a line-out option? No. Um, off the back of the scrum, yes, he's got, pow- he's got power there and speed. But, you know, is, is he 115 clicks? And, and you know, is that, is that where we want to go? You know, he always started playing his rugby as a genuine open side. You know, is he the type of forager and have the ball skills to be 
you know, that open side flanker because the game's evolved? Yeah. This is, they, these are all very relevant questions, but they're harsh questions to sort of throw out there for a player that is, is, is so inspirational in such good form. But all I'm thinking about is our evolution. Which we've been we've been missing in the last year or two, where other sides are, you know, like you look at the back row that South Africa, England, France um, pick, and they are a different dynamic than than what you're, we're, we've used to be seeing in the past. So, look, the fact that there are injuries um, in Ethan Blackadder and and obviously Papa Lee as well uh, enters and Sam Kane enters um, Artie Savier into the mix. My, my, my big part of my point that I'm trying to make here, Ricardo, in a long-winded way is where? Where, where is he in the mix? Is it at open side? Is it at number eight? Um, yeah, it's, 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 re- it's going to be intriguing where they, where they slot Artie in. Yeah, it will be. Uh, I mean, I think if Papali'i isn't ready, um, Blackadder... You know, he's probably more a six than a seven, but he can play anywhere across in, in that loose three. And Kane's knee is continuing to give him, you know, problems. Then who is our next best seven? Um, because those that's those three big names you're taking out of the mix. And I, I do wonder, I mean, if you, you like you say, it's been so long since Artie's played there at any level. Is he the guy you look at? Or is it someone like Billy Harmon? Does he come into the mix? Or, or Tom Christie? See what you're doing there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what you're doing is you, you you are going back to stereotypical sevens that we picked, though, mm. and which Artie can play, mate, and he can play that well. But you, you bring Billy Harmon, Tom Christie, um, Duplessis Karifi, all of those style of uh, open side into the game, that's traditionally where we've gone. The rest of the world have moved on from there, and they are picking 115 kg Ethan Blackadders at open side who still get over the ball, but they carry hard, they tackle differently, they still have massive work rate and big engines, but they are a different dynamic to that feature, to that Michael Hooper-style player. You know, where, where does he fit into Aussie? So, you know, like, the, 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 that's where we've got to decide, okay, this is the way we've always, like, think about our great back rows, you know, we've always built our foundation on a really good back three, you know, wingers, fullback, um, or obviously having, you know, the, the, the architects who control the game, pulling the strings at 9 and 10, and then back rows. Think of their success in the past, you know, the, a back row of, um, say, Zinzan Brook, Michael Jones, and Josh Kronfeld, mm. or Kieran Reid, Jerome Kano, um, and Richie McCaw. You know, like, that's, that, that's very, very much our pattern on where we go. Um, the rest of the world have decided they want big, mobile, and tough who can still get over the ball at the breakdown. But the game has moved on a little. You know, you don't see number sevens getting as many turnovers anymore because, you know, that's the way that the laws have evolved and the game has moved on. So I'm, I'm really intrigued as to what pathway we go down. And, and, and you know, do we go back to having a Zinzanbrook, um, Wayne Shelford, Kieran Reid style number eight? rather than a fill-in player that can play all three positions, like Adi Savia, you know, do, do, doesn't... I mean, I thought Mika Ali too was mm. outstanding last night. Yeah. Sotutu was good. Peter Gassawakula has been very good. They play number eight every week. If they don't get selected at number eight, mate, they don't make the team because they're number eights. Yeah. They're not 
oh, we'll put them on the blind side or open side type guys, are they? No, they're not not at all. Not at all. So, yeah, you, you make some really good points there, mate. Uh, I mean, another guy whose name maybe, from an all-black point of view, will come up then because of his versatility, and he has played eight and he has played six, and that is um, Akira Yuani. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> is that my blues bias shining through, No, Justin? no, no, not at all, because I had mentioned him as well. I was like, oh, okay. I, I can hear, I, I can almost predict what's coming next. Um, yeah, and... and Look, look, for me, I know he can play number eight, but from what I've seen in Akira's development and the way that he plays, he's a six. He's Jerome Kano. Yeah. That, that, that's who, that, that's the style of player he is. You know, like Frizzell back last night when he came onto the, into the game, he's a six. Pablo Matera, the Crusaders, have finally worked out he's a six. He's a blindside. You know, he's 110 kgs. He plays the house down at six. You slot him into number eight or the number seven jersey. He doesn't find his way around the field the same way. Yeah, Akira, I believe, is exactly that. Number eight, I think he struggles to find his way into the pattern, into the shape that, that you're required to as a number eight. So he is out and out in six. So again, it's not about compensating and going, all right, well, yeah, he's a good player, uh, so we'll fit him in. You know, th- These are the massive decisions the All Blacks have to make this year. They, they have to... Forget about the loose forwards. They they also have to decide, you know, if Bowden Barrett doesn't start at 10, then he's on the bench. You know, if, if, if Will Jordan is playing the house down at fullback, why are they going to put him on the wing when he doesn't play wing? Mm. Are they ballsy enough to go down that pathway where they are going to pick players in their specific positions? Like, here's one for you, Ricardo. Um, do you shift Rico from centre to wing for Jack Goodhue because he can't play centre as well as Jack Goodhue, so he's not good enough to play there. So we'll stick him on the wing because we want him in the team, which means that someone else misses out. They, they are massive decisions they have to make this year. Well, that I mean, that, on that, I would say it depends who plays 12, and I would also say Rico's still the best left-winger in the world, so... Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. You know, he's, a, he's an awesome finisher and... You know, but he hasn't played one game on the wing this year, not one. Uh, and you go in against a very, very good side, top five side in the world against Ireland, and ask a guy to adapt and adjust defensively is where you really have to adjust because you're seeing different pitches from outside in from what you're seeing at centre. So, yeah, look, um, there, there's a reason Leon McDonald picks him at centre each week. He's a very good coach. And there's a reason he's playing him there. Why would the All Blacks think differently? Yeah, it's just good. because they have to compensate. That's a good point, mate. It's a good point. And uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, this is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Dean has called through 0800 150 out of Dunedin. Dean, uh, you've got a you got a quick point you would like to make? Oh, absolutely. Like uh, I'm, I'm sick to death of it, Justin. Like at the end of the day, when you become an All Black, you should be the best in your position. And yeah. also the best in form in your position. That's what it was in your day. They didn't pick you at halfback and think, oh, okay, we're going to turn you into a 10. They had a wee look with Piriwipi there as a reserve cover thing, but they didn't do that. Like Rico, for me, is without a doubt one of the world's best number 11. Now, why they have to put him at 13 defies logic to me. If they've got to make a change, and I'm not big on the change thing either, but 
Will Jordan has got the best attacking ability of anyone I've seen in a 15 jersey in New Zealand for quite some time. So you yep. want to give him three-thirds of the field to utilise those skills. Now, Geordie Barrett is a sensational 15 as well, but he can play in the midfield. So for me, on tour, and it goes against... Well, he hasn't played there, but he's got the skill set for 13 that would be a natural switch for him. And young Tupai is playing the house down. But Dave Harvilli's got the complete skill set at 12. So I don't know why... We are mucking around with Rico Iwani at 13. He doesn't need to be there. Like his, his natural instinct is to tuck it under his wing and go. Like last night's game, he held it in two hands really well. He's looking better there, but it's taken three years of mucking around. I don't understand it. Like it, it, we don't need him there. Like put him on the wing with, and I think Riasi's going really good. But what does Sevi Reese do wrong? Like. For, and this, this will make you laugh, but for me, I reckon the Crusaders are lacking a seven. Like, Stevie Reese could just about play there. He's got a cauliflower ear, <laughs> Justin. How do you get that? But, I mean, I don't I don't know what they're thinking. Like, it's supposed to be a New Zealand team. You hear Stead all the time talking about the cricket and what's going on. We don't even hear from Forster. I've seen him in the grandstand yesterday. It's just it's annoying. It's frustrating. But for me, we've got so many changes to make. Like, those young Highlander front rowers, they demolished all black front rowers. So why are we picking those Auckland front rowers? Oh, look, I totally agree with you, Dean. And I think that what what we're trying to do is we're trying to accommodate players to try and piece together a team. Whereas specifically, if you're good in one position, that be should be the position in the jersey that you're in. And and I totally like last night, Ethan the group man, how big was he? And um, the, the the way that they demolished that blue scrum, particularly in the first half, you know that. That's where we've got to be brave. If we want to evolve and we want to move on, we have got to be brave in some of our selections that we make. And that's going to that's going to take, you know, a little bit of courage to do that. It'll be interesting to see if that's the pathway the All Blacks are going to go down or are they going to stay with the tried and true and the knowledge that they have. And I, I believe that that's not the way that we want to evolve and, and be better than what we, where we have been recently. Yeah, uh, fair point. And thanks for your call, Dean. 0800 150 811 is our number. Our, our temper bedpost text machine is double eight double three two. If you've got questions for Justin or comments you would like to make on uh, whether it be the semi-final matchup for the Super Rugby Pacific, the quarter-final results for, quarter, uh, for that, or what this means for the All Blacks. We'll get into that and more. This is the Bunning Trade Rugby Run here on SENZ. It's 1.22 here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run with Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall. It seems only fitting on Jubilee weekend that we have a Knight of the Realm join us. Sir John Kerwin is on the phone. G'day, mate. How are you? Very well. How can I not be well? How can you not be well? 14 in a row, JK. Oh, beautiful, isn't it? How beautiful is that? When, when was the last time, especially you, Marshy, thought you were going to say that? 14 in a row for the <laughs> Marshy thought it was going to be 14 in a row losses to the red and black. That's all he was thinking. Is that right, Marshy? Is that right, Marshy? Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. No, I know there's, there's every opportunity to gloat at the moment, JK, and I think you should be dining out on that, no doubt about it. And it's well-deserved, to be perfectly honest. Um, it, it's, it's honestly set up the Blues perfectly to, to continue their momentum in, into what you would think would be a final at Eden Park. I guess the first question probably I want to ask you to try and get a little bit uh, of ascendancy here in this conversation is, was, was that the performance 
that gave you, you know, the confidence and the hope that the, the Blues have the potential to win a final last night? Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, besides the gloating, I'm just having some fun. We all know, Marshy, mm. um, that finals footy is very, very different. I thought they were nervous early. Um, yeah. I think there's a, regardless, regardless of whether it's the Blues, I mean, the Crusaders are so used to winning that we get used to it. But most sides that are maturing, I keep coming back to the English coming down here in 2002 and winning away. That set them up to winning the World Cup. So what's happening now with me is the Blues are getting through some milestones, Marshy, winning down there uh, in Christchurch. Was it, was it pretty? No, but they got it done. You know, they're starting mm. to have a little bit of backbone from a pressure point of view. Started nervously, you know. Um, you thought, oh, here we go. Highlanders were on top of them for the first 20 years. And, and the Blues of old probably would have lost a bit of confidence. But they just have this ability to settle into their work now. So I think that puts them in good stead. I'm not going to pick anyone for the finals, Marshy, because to be fair, um, you know, it is going to be really tough. I mean, if you think about your Crusaders, the thing that surprised me the most about the Crusaders this year is they're brilliant at times, but they've lost that consistency that they used to have. They go through flat patches during the 80 minutes, which I've never seen before. Um, but look, before we get to that, Marsha, we've got the Brumbies. And the Brumbies, I reckon they've hmm. got the best, best, most aggressive, most borderline cheating <laughs> breakdown of the competition. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You agree? And, yeah, I do. And they, they push the boundaries, there's no doubt about it. And obviously, you know, for a team that historically are so innovative and creative with the ball, it, it disappoints me a little bit to see that one of their most potent attacking weapons is to kick it into the 22. And God, I don't know where this is going to go if I talk about driving Moors again, though. <laughs> but, you know, that, that seems to be, you know, a, a massive um, way that they play their game and, and, and a big strength for them. But, you know, when you, when you look at that, that Brumby side and the potential that they have, are you a little disappointed in the way that they play, given the you know the fact they've got eleven wallabies in that side? Well, Marsha, you and I talk about this, right? And our game is an absolutely beautiful game when it's played with the right attitude, right? Mm. And that right attitude is actually to have a combination of running the ball, a good kicking game, but mainly running the ball. What scares me the most about finals footy is everyone comes under pressure, including the coaches, and they go into their shell and start playing more conservatively. We can't afford for our game to have that. We don't need a kick to the corner more fest because I believe in the middle part of this competition, and I think the Australian sides have bought a little bit of, not, I don't know the right word, but you know, when we were playing rugby Aotearoha, I mean, it was just like these test matches and it was full on and physical. Whereas now that we've opened up and, we, you know, we've got Moana Pacifica and we've got the Fiji Drua, there seems to be a little bit more expansiveness to our game. And I think the crowds have started to come back and people are starting to enjoy it. Will, yeah. will everyone go into their shell for the finals? I hope not. You know, this is super rugby. It's not test match. We've got a chance around and we've got to be able to see some good footy. So I've been a little bit disappointed with the way the Brumbies have gone into their shell to win football games, especially 
probably the last two two or three weeks I've seen that. And that probably comes from losing a couple, right? Yeah, yeah, lack of confidence, I think. Yeah, they've gone very insular, which they weren't when they beat the Chiefs. They they look very good across the park. I guess, I mean, we, just, just to sort of slightly take a little steer in another direction, just before you came on, and, and this is an area of expertise for you, so it'd be good to get your view on it. Uh, we had Dean call in, um, and he, he was talking about uh, players playing their positions specifically, and I'm, I'm very much down the same line with this. Uh, we talked about Rico Ioani. Now, where, where do you see him? Look, if, if you were sitting there as a coach, which you've been, uh, and, and obviously Leon McDonald sees Rico Ioane as a centre. That's his position. He, he, I don't believe he's compensating because he's got other players he can play at centre. I think he sees him as a centre. So do the All Blacks think the same way? They have to, mate. I think, I think for me, there's two discussions you brought up, which I'm pretty passionate about. Playing guys out of position. Um, yeah, I think is a thing of the past. And while I do know that the back three are a little bit more versatile than others, I, I believe that it's taken Rico Yuane all season to get used to centre his defensive lines. I mean, you know, last night he set up a couple of tries and he catched and passed under pressure, stuff that we wouldn't seen of him six months ago. The thing I like about Rico, if we can get if we can get some stability in the midfield. And look, I'm old school, man. You know, Jason, Jason Little, um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'd love Walter and Craig Innes and, and Conrad Ma'a. I think there are positions where it's got to, you've got to be attached to the hip to understand defensive lines, make a break, don't even have to look and pass. So I think we need some combinations there. But I think Rico has done a great job. You know, how many times in the last four weeks you've seen him jump out of the defensive line because he was under pressure? None. You know, he is actually, I believe, the centre of the future. And what he does bring, Marshy, which I love, is real pace at centre at the international level. And, and he's also brought a, a, what I call a tough shoulder to his game. So lately yep. he's been running that hard inside shoulder line. So I think he's worked really hard to become our best centre in the country. Name me someone else, though, right at the moment. You know, name me someone else oh. that actually you would put at 13 because Anton Leonard Brown's injured. I mean, is good you back to his form or is he a real 12? You know, I think out and out centre where someone can make an outside break and he's got pace. I don't think we've got anyone that's playing as well as him at the moment. Yeah, you got me actually, to be perfectly honest, because I was going to launch into you and sort of say, right, OK, so do you pick him there? Um, but I, I agree. Jack Goodhue's not there yet. When when Pattaya got on the outside of him at the weekend uh, and, and gassed him, um, yes, Pattaya had momentum onto the ball, so he got a good pass. But I watched Goodhue come in across and cover defence, and I, I thought a year ago Jack Goodhue would make that tackle. Uh, you know, he didn't, and, and obviously Vunivalu scored in the corner. And I thought to myself, you will get there, but at the moment you're not quite there. So basically... What I'm thinking is, when it comes down to Ian Foster going, okay, I want players that are there, and he picks his back line, and you, yeah, you, you, you're right. Name another centre that you would put there before Rico at the moment on form. I probably can't. I, I don't think I can. <laughs> but the other thing, Marcy, that I keep, ch- I say this every single week on the breakdown, right? Um, Twelve tests to go. Actually, what we need to do is decide on 
who we know is going to play in those positions, just play them all season. And then what's up for grabs? I don't think Gouge, I don't think Gouge's a a uh, a thirteen. I think he's a twelve. Roger Tuivasa-Shek. We can't have Roger Tuivasa-Shek getting to the World Cup if we think he's the future without at least ten Test matches under his belt, mate. You know, do yep. you want to come up against England in a quarter final again? And we're not quite sure whether Rogers settled into test. So there's a lot of things I believe, and it's no one's fault, right? We, we we had some we had some interesting last few years with COVID, but right now our biggest issue is we've got 12 tests to go. What what are you going to do with Geordie then, Marshy? What are you going to do with him? Where's he going to play? Yeah, well, and that's a valid question because at, at that moment I, I just think that we are compensating by by playing Will Jordan on the wing. Now look, he, he look he was so good when he got pushed onto that right wing and still found his way to the try line but it, compl- it completely changes the picture for him it, it doesn't it doesn't enable him to get into the game as a first second receiver because on the wing you're you're usually that inside option or you know you as you very well know you're either holding your holding your width and and, and whereas a fullback can inject themselves into the game that's where he's most dangerous he's so dangerous from there and he's dangerous on counter-attack is Geordie Barrett at that type of capacity and, and does he have that threat? No, I don't think so. So I think Will Jordan has to be picked at fullback, personally. What, what do you think? Well, no, I think, I think you've, you've forgotten one thing that's fundamental. I think Bowden Barrett plays better when he hasn't got the kicking responsibilities. And I think that we need Geordie, who is our incumbent incumbent fullback, back there also taking the kicks, also being able to to put the opposition under pressure because he'll whack one over from 55 early. So that's a, I don't disagree with you. I think Will Jordan has something special at fullback, counter-attack, um, this ability to be evasive, this ability to score tries with his mm. pace, because he's not a big man, right? But I, I just think when you start looking at the whole, Marshy, you know, Bodie plays fantastic. Um, right now, he's not, he hasn't got the kicks, right? And so if his brother's out there at fullback, then he doesn't have to take the kicks. One less thing for him to worry about, and that's when he's at his best. So I don't well, why think we've got a choice. Why can't his brother be at 12? Um, I just and don't kick think... Goals. Well, it's exactly... It's, I, I just don't think that he is our best 12. Okay. Simple as that. Mm. JK, I think he's our best fullback. Yeah. I mean, JK, does that, am I picking up here, if you were going to select a, an all-black team for that first test against Ireland, your 12-13 combo would be the Blues 12-13 combo of RTS and uh, Rico? Yeah, totally. Look, I, and because we've got 12 tests to go, right? And they've played together. Now, what I would be doing, um, I would probably, I'd probably go Bowden, Roger, um, uh, Rico, Will Jordan on the wing. Um, we'll see how Caleb Clark is. And the reason I like Caleb Clark on the wing because he brings us something different, um, big, strong, fast. I'd put him on the other wing um, and I'd put Geordie at fullback and halfback. And I'm not going to answer this one. I'm going to throw it to you, Marshy, because what do you do at halfback? Like, you know, yeah, well, and I, I, think, I think that's a good thing, not for Aaron. But I just think it's nice that, you know, he'll come back into a, he'll have a bit of a break, get himself right, and it gives us a chance to, to, to say who's number two. So 
of both of you, Ricardo and you, Marcia, who's your who, who's your starting nine then? Well, first of all, I'm flabbergasted. I've actually just picked myself up off the floor because you haven't got Will Jordan in your back line. So I'm not... no, he's on the wing. He's on the wing. Is he on the wing? Okay, all right. He's on the he's on the he's on the right wing, and Caleb on the left. No, he's definitely in the side, Marshy. Thank God for that, Jesus. Okay, I've recovered. Like. I've recovered, JK. Good. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look, at the moment, Jeez, um, I tell you what. How good was Brad Weber last night? Like I just you got, I, I watched uh, I'm, and saw him and thought. Mm. He's like a good bottle of red, mate. He just keeps getting better. He does, doesn't he? And and his support lines are good. He's got that explosive pace, you know, that little uh, gem of a move that they worked around the line out with him looping around, and he's just completely gassed people. Um, his distribution's good. His kicking game's good. Um, he's tough and gritty in the contact zone in terms of tackling. And then I, so then I bounced on to the next game and watched Finley Christie, who I thought is, is the form halfback at the moment, um, before obviously um, Brad Weber got injured, and and thought, you know, this is going to be interesting. Fakatab has been given an opportunity to start, which I felt has been his biggest vice. Look, it, I don't know. Does he play well when he starts? No, I wouldn't start Fakatava, and so it's between Christie and Brad Weber for me. Now, look, let's say you've got your, your coaching cap back on again, and you're you're coaching the Blues, and you've got Finley Christie, and you've got Brad Weber. Who, who would you start? I don't. I don't play those two together, mate. I'd start. I mean, I think Finley, you're right, is the in form, but I think what Brad is bringing at the moment is a little bit of Fakatava around the ruts. Right, mm. so he is absolutely—he's he, just the best combination. Is his—is his pass as good as Aaron's? No, right. But his pass is good enough. He's darting around the around the rucks, putting pressure on those guard dogs, and he's got that out and out pace. But my problem is, is Finlay good enough to be the second? Yes. Would I play him? No, because I want to be able to have something different off the bench. You know, for me, um, you know, it's like. Damien McKenzie, do you play him at fullback or do you play him at first five? I don't really care, but he's amazing off the bench. And I think if you're going to have two similar players, you can't have a game that's off your life. So while I'm on the bench, I'm probably play Fakatala because with 20 to go, he brings you something different. Absolutely. Uh, well, hey, mate, I really appreciate you joining. Just before just before you go, are, are you, is there any nerves whatsoever that the Blues train could get derailed by the Brumbies, or are you quite confident they can soldier on to a final? Uh, no, I'm nervous. Just because it's it's finals footy. The, the, the Brumbies, Brumbies are like a pimple, mate. They're just so annoying, you know? Um, you just want to squeeze them, but it hurts. <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, they just never go away. They've got... They've got Nick White in the old days who would have been punched 46 times by most forwards. <laughs> you know, he's nearly as annoying as you, Marshy, you know? Um, so they've just, they've just got a really good football team and the Blues are going to have to be really, really good. And what normally happens in finals footy, mate, is it's going to come down and it should come down to the last five minutes with some big decisions under pressure. So, you know, that's... So I see it probably as a... Um, as a as a Chiefs Blues final. <laughs> <laughs>
I'll leave you on that, Marty. There you go. The yeah, final yeah, jab. The final jab. Uh, Sir John Kerwin, thank you very much for joining uh, the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. It is 20 away from 2 o'clock here on SENZ. It's 16 away from 2 o'clock here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run at Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Uh, Justin Marshall, Ricardo Ball with you. And John from Auckland is on 0800 150 811. John, you've got something you want to say about the All Black selection, mate? Yeah, hey, uh, Ricardo and uh, Marshy. Hope you're, hope hey, you're well. Um, just last night, just, just quickly on the Blues game, uh, I, I know that um, people were saying that that Blues front row were struggling, but uh, you got to remember that Ethan De Groot is the best loose head in this competition so, thus far, uh, and plus our best scrummager is probably Nepal Laulala. Uh, a lot of people have been on his back that you know he hasn't started for the Blues because his running game isn't there yet, but he is the best scrummager we still have. So that's a bit of a conundrum for the All Blacks because for me, a front row is there to scrum, especially against big. Um, you know, international sides. Yes, they're going to be there around the ball and whatnot, but they have to consolidate that set piece. And that's what we struggled against when we went to Europe. If, you know, you, you were up there, Marshy, and you saw our front row kind of buckled. Um, and, and on the Blues, um, I know uh, John Curran's a bit apprehensive against the Brumbies, but I'm, I'm pretty confident, eh? you know, that Blues team has won 14 in a row. Nothing suggests to me that they're going to lose at home. The last time they lost at home, was uh, against the Crusaders, actually. So, um, you know, and, and they've got that coaching staff. They've got that ability just to close it out. Uh, and again, that Crusaders side, um, you know, they should have comfortably beat the Chiefs as well. Um, like you said, Marshy, they're a team that's always been there around the finals. Um, for me, I agree with you absolutely that um, Will Jordan should be our fullback. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a hard one, mate. Totally agree, John. And... You know, like you make a really valid point because we don't often sometimes talk enough about what happens up front. And, you know, I certainly think that the the work of Ethan DeGroote um, last night just solidified his potential, you know. The, and, and it's not just, you know, the, the scrummaging power that he has, it's the, the work he does throughout the game. And I, I do agree with you. It, it, we've got to try and get that balance right between that modern-day prop-carrying front rower who has... The ability to hold up their hold up their side of the scrum, you know, do do their core work, but also give something around the field. And if you if you if you don't get that right at source, you'll get heavily hurt by good sides. And I I only have to go back to the weekend on Friday night when the Reds scrum was an absolute shambles, and, and the Crusaders who probably weren't quite in the rhythm that they needed to be. Any momentum that they wanted into the game, they got out of their scrum. They just they either shunted the uh, Reds off the ball or they used their own scrum to dominate their way out of their half. They won penalties. They got points out of it. And it became a massive problem, so problematic that Brad Thorne made a substitute before half time mm. because mm. they couldn't find an answer to that power. And, yeah, we've got to be careful, John, that you're right. We don't take away from our game that ability to make sure that our, our set piece is a weapon or it's at least got parity because if we don't pick good scrummaging props it'll cause problems don't, don't disagree with you about Lala. La. um i think the problem for leon is that you know he is the best scrummaging prop but it's more his discipline that has been mm. a problem the fact that 
He's got his tackle technique wrong and, and numerous times, including for the All Blacks. And in finals football in particular, you don't want to be down a man for any period of time. But last night with the Highlanders going down with Makaleo going off was incredibly costly for him. It wouldn't have been the catalyst for them winning or losing the game. I think the Blues were already a better side. But you need to make sure that you don't have ill-disciplined players out there. I think Nepo, being on the bench, has probably learnt that he has to make an adjustment there um, to make sure that he's starting to get selected again. Yeah, thanks very much for your call, John. 0800 811 is our number. Or double eight double three is the temper bed post text machine. Yeah, Andrew Makaleo going to the uh, Scott Barrett School of uh, How to Tackle, obviously. We might need to sort that out for him and Josh Dixon, probably, um, going forward for, for both of them. We'll get Marshy's thoughts on that. Yeah, because, like, yeah, I agree. But did you see how low he was? Mm. He was bent like, at the waist, honestly, right? Yeah, he, he was way low. And, and the, 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 the arriving player was falling into, you know, I think it was Robinson, was yep. falling into the contact zone. Now, look, I, I agree there was a lack of rap. But is that a red card? You know, like, there's nothing wrong with Robinson. Mitigating factors are they also look at the impact that it has on the player. Robinson bounced straight back. He's tough. Big red, he's tough, man. Don't worry about that. But in my mind, I'm thinking, do the referees need to be that harsh? Makaleo, and he got a bit of criticism for smiling, but he's smiling because he's going, what else could I do? Yeah, I went in with good technique. I didn't wrap my arm enough. I was really low. The, the, The player coming towards me was falling because he has already been tackled. It's slightly I've got it wrong because I haven't wrapped my arm around the the, the head. The contact to the head is purely accidental. Maybe I could swallow that situation as being a yellow, but red. Yeah, what well, really? I would, I would say yellow as well because I mean, yeah. you want consistency, right? And what did we mm. see um, in the Brumbies Hurricanes game? Owen Franks, similar situation. Yeah, they went oh it was shoulder to shoulder hit, then it hit up into the head, and the player was falling. So it's only a yeah. yellow. And, and that, yep. you know, that that's what I think it should have been. Uh, it is 10 away from two here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. We'll be back after this. In today's Voltaren Rapid 25 wrap-up. Blues coach Leon McDonald is unsure if skipper Dalton Papali'i will be fit to face the Brumbies in their Super Rugby semi-final next weekend. The captain was a late scratching from their win over the Highlanders after having emergency surgery to remove his appendix on Thursday night. McDonald confirmed inform Caleb Clark was unlikely to make the semi as he waited for his hamstring to heal and fill-in wing Bryce Heem also left the field inside half an hour with a head knock. The Chiefs will be travelling to Christchurch for their clash with the Crusaders and they're set to welcome back Sam Kane from a knee injury or Josh Lord is an outside chance of coming back from his own knee injury. Don't let back pain get in the way. Get fast relief with Voltaren Rapid 25. Read the label user directed. If symptoms persist, see your doctor. Incorrect use may be harmful. Do not use if you have stomach ulcers. GSK Auckland. Uh, coming up in the next hour here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run with myself and Justin Marshall. Uh, ben Castle's going to join us. He's going to talk some Canes and some Chiefs as well. We'll talk dark arts of scrummaging, maybe get uh, his pick for that all-black front, th- front row for the first test against the Irish. And around 2.30, absolute legend out of Australia. Tim Horan joins us to give us an Aussie perspective. 
It's just gone two o'clock here on SENZ, the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run with Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall. At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Uh, we've had a night of the realm on already on the show, uh, Sir John Kerwin. Now we've got a castle on. I'll tell you, it's very royal themed this Jubilee <laughs> weekend. Uh, ben Castle joins us. G'day, mate. How are you? Ricardo, I'm good, thanks. How are you guys? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Good. Hey, uh, get your thoughts on this, mate. JK, as a, as a parting jab uh, to uh, Tamashi uh, when we had him on last hour, said he couldn't wait for next weekend's semi-final between... Uh, sorry, he couldn't wait for the final uh, this year in Super Rugby between the Blues and the Chiefs. Uh, as, a, as, a, as a solid Chiefs fan, uh, what was your reaction to that? Oh, I think it's, um, it's, it's not a bad shout with the record that the uh, Chiefs have down there. I think... The Crusaders, I don't think, will... Uh, well, they fancy themselves in playoff football, as they always do, and Marshall will know that. But the Chiefs is a team that uh, can upset anyone on their day. And I think uh, the way the way they played against the Waratahs, I think they are a genuine threat to, to even go further. And if they make that final, I'd say they could take it all the way to Chiefs. There you go. Well, they could. They could. They certainly um, showed it up because I thought that Tars team, you know, you looked at it on paper, the way they've gone, their, their, their tight five has been pretty competitive all season. Um, Edmed's a really good young 10. Of course, uh, Jake Gordon stares around the park well at nine as well. And and Charlie Gamble, they've unearthed a, a great Lucy prospect. And, of course, there's Michael Hooper. So I, I expected it to be a, a heck of a lot tighter than it was. Uh, what, what did you take out of that game, Ben, from a Chiefs point of view? Yeah, I was. Uh, the Chiefs really had an edge in that game, and I mean, Anton Leonard Brown said prior to the game as well in his coverage of Sky that um, they needed an edge after that close result to uh, Fiji Drua. They they needed to come in with some uh, real purpose, and you could just see it across the board. They started with massive intensity. They had tempo on the ball. They were carrying hard into that uh, Waratahs defence, and then when they didn't have the ball, they were coming forward. We saw Brody Retallick make some. Big collisions. We saw Samasoni Tokyo uh, making massive collisions as well. So that they, they actually put the Waratahs into a place where they just weren't comfortable. And you saw the mistakes that the Waratahs made. Like they kept dropping the ball. They went the wrong wrong way. They just made errors that they hadn't done through their campaign. And that was all down to the way that the Chiefs were playing. And then every mistake that the Waratahs made, the Chiefs just pounced. And they reacted to that turnover ball so quickly and just punished them. And that was really the... The game, they started fast, the Waratahs worked their way back in, and then the Chiefs just went crazy second half, and that was that was the game. That's the, that's the grenade I want to lob into the mix for you, though, Benny. Like, when I watched that game, if I was, you know, sitting in the Chiefs' camp, it, it would concern me a little bit about how, at times, easily the Waratahs opened them up, and... and Look, I I certainly think a a big part of the problem was the Waratahs, mate, they're never used to playing with with a greasy, dewy ball. (laughs) So that's not, doesn't in Australia. And some of the things, some of the ball they coughed up was mandatory stuff, you know, not not usual skill set for a team, any team of of playing super rugby. So, you know, to to go back to my grenade, did it worry you a little bit that the fact that they, they did get, um, exposed a little bit defensively at times by the Waratahs. They just couldn't finish. It was the Waratahs' problem? Yeah, that, that that's right. I think especially in that first half, they they did they swept back. They they actually got them on the um, you know coming back the blind side after sort of shaping to go the same way in their plays, and, yep. and then swept back at depth with pace. And 
you know, caught the Chiefs. Sort of, they, they had the mismatch. They had some forwards, you know, lining up against some of their speedy backs. And their backs are good. You know, take nothing away from the Waratahs to create that because they are a, a team that's really come a long way in, in 12 months. Uh, but I think the Chiefs did. They figured it out. They, um, you know, they started to react. And, yeah, there were mistakes. And there were some, some opportunities down the side where the Waratahs may have made some inroads. But still, the Chiefs did scramble at times and, and still held them out. So... Yeah, look, there's probably signs that they need to sharpen slightly. But I think two Kiwi teams going at it. The defence changes, the patterns change a bit. Um, yeah. I, the, the physical battle is going to be massive for these two teams. And I think that's where it's, that's where it's going to be good, and especially up front. I, I think the Chiefs are really starting to come away around that front row. I think, well, if you're talking all-black um, front rows, which you may do, um, I think there's a couple in that, in that Chiefs side that, that could be named coming up soon. Well, it's interesting to say that, actually. We were talking about uh, the all-black front row for the first uh, test against Ireland and what that might look like. You know, Ethan de Groot was so uh, impressive against the Blues. He was one of the standouts uh, for the Highlanders in that game. Um, how do you see that front row looking uh, for that first test against the Irish? Yeah, well, I mean, we heard from Ian Foster. Um, uh, you know, he publicly said that loosehead was a, was a position that they're looking closely at, but I... I I think Ethan De Groot would be my pick to go in there. I think if they're picking three loose heads and three tight heads, which you'd do across a squad, I think De Groot, De Groot is definitely in there, and I would give him the number one jersey for that first test. The way he's going, he's just he's a great great shape for a prop, great scrummager, uh, gets around the park, loves the contact, loves the physical stuff, and he's just he's kind of a stereotypical prop, you know, with the universal soldier haircut and everything. It's just the package. So it's, um, <laughs> It's he, he's good to go in my books. And now Aiden Ross, I think he he could be um, he could be in there too for me. Uh, that would be another loose head I'd, I'd put in there, but possibly a bit of an outside bolter. But he's been in the conversation before, and he's had a couple of big injuries which has ruled him out. But he's just fought his way back in, and he's scrummaging really really well. So they need to and they need to develop another loose head. So he's he's another guy I think that will be in there. But De Groot would be the starting loose head, uh, and I think. I think that would tuing a fussy, even though he got a little bit of a um, found a little bit tough at times uh, against the Highlanders against the group. I think he is your starting three though, and the hooker though. I'm gonna I'd go Dane Coles in the middle, and um, although the Hurricanes went down, I thought I thought Coles was um, he brought a, he just brought back that edge. You know, hasn't played a lot of rugby, but it's just something about Dane Coles when he's on the park. 100% Dane Coles, I think, is the is the best uh, hooker in the world. Wow, you've blown me away. Not with Dane Cole, you've blown me away by that, like in terms of tight head. Um, mm. like, like, in your mind, is, is Tuanga Fasi the best scrummaging tight head in the country? He's, he is, look, he's been, in the, he's been in that boiler room before. He's done it before for the All Blacks. And that's a, that's a big um, factor, I think, in the selection to, to run. I mean, who else have we got? We've got uh, Angus Tarval, we've got Nepo Laulala, Tyrell Lomax. I mean, Franks is, is sitting there. Um, but for me, it's Yep. Franks, well, um, <laughs> I think he's just a bit short of a gallop at the moment. You never know. An injury away and, and they might get him in. I just think, don't think he's had enough rugby, really, to get into that into that test match cauldron right now. But for me, Tonga Fasi, yep, sure, he had a tough night and it didn't quite go go to plan for him. But, you know, sometimes they don't. And that's across any position and he'll be figuring out how he gets better and you know he could really turn it on against the Brumbies who are a good scrum as well and we saw that 
uh, against the uh, Hurricanes. So, you know, he's, he's got another opportunity just to front up. But I think if he, if he gets back to what we've seen him do before, uh, he would be the starting three for me. Nice that you mentioned the Hurricanes because obviously a team close to your heart. Um, I, I don't, you wouldn't have heard earlier on when we started chatting about that game and I sort of said to Ricardo, I, f- I felt that for the fight, for the, the amount of punches that they can throw and the firepower that they've got, I don't know whether or not on the night they produced the performance that they could, the Hurricanes. D- did you see it that way or do you just think that the Brumbies suffocated them a bit? Like, Put it this way, are you comfortable you know, st- uh, talking to us here saying, yeah, the Hurricanes gave it all they've got. Um, they were just outplayed by a better side. Um, yes and no. I, 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 for me, I think that, I mean, if the Hurricanes are really honest, um, I think they, they let that slip. Like, that was there to be taken. Uh, and yeah. the, the Brumbies just found a way to win it in the end. And that's that playoff, playoff football where they've, where they've really grounded out. And their forwards are the ones that did it in the end. And I thought at the start, when they had, Franks and Coles, there was there's just there's those two leaders out there, and especially Coles. I'll go back to him. Just that the way that it unifies the pack and the way they go about their business, they take a lot of confidence from him when he's standing there at the lineout time with the ball, or when it's scrum time and they're all binding in around him. I think there's just a there's a natural edge with him where that pack started to take it to the Brumbies, and then they just got back. They, they worked themselves back into the game, the Brumbies. So I think they yeah they they didn't get a chance to unleash that firepower that we've seen, but. I don't know if you look at the Hurricanes, you know, season. I mean, is it a would you give it a pass mark right now? Is it a pass or is it a fail? For me personally, I think uh, there's, you know, they, they let that game go. But there are some players that they've brought onto the scene that haven't played a lot of Super Rugby before. I think if you look across that squad, there is some young talent that is building pretty nicely, and it won't be the result they wanted. And there'll be, you know, there'll be the critics out there about why and how and so on. But mm. you think of Aidan Morgan coming in now, Ruben Love. Um, Josh Morby has been unearthed. I think Balen Sullivan has found another gear in Super Rugby again, coming coming into the midfield. Um, you know, Billy Proctor's just proving that he can play at this level really well. Then you've got likes of TK Howden and Tyler Lobsher. So there's some young players in the squad that are just starting their Super Rugby careers now. And I think the Hurricanes in a in a year or even two will be a real threat. But yep, going back to that Brumbies game, I think it's one that they'll look at and go, how how did we lose that? How did we not? come away and win that game. Well, unfortunately for you, Benny, I've actually found myself with a bag full of grenades this morning, so I'm going to launch <laughs> another one into the mix. <laughs> I, nice. I pers- this is my personal opinion, um, and, and it's only my personal opinion. Do, do, do you think in your mind, or has it had an influence, that the lack of consistency in selections that Jason Holland has made this season? Because he's th- th- there's never been... A, a real sort of mandatory 15 that he's throwing out there from week to week or to try and strike up combos. He's messed around with Geordie. Um, the back row has been all over the place in terms of selection. You know, like, do you feel that that's hindered them from getting real rhythm to find their mojo? Because the Hurricane sides in the past, mate, they they play with confidence. They know their game plan. They know their They know their strengths and they play to them well. But that, that you can't get that rhythm when your side is constantly being tampered with. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I think it's there's, there's two edges to it, really. And, and one, for the combination work and, and getting a team clicking in the right combinations is, is critical. And, and possibly that'll be something they, they, they look at. I think on the other side, 
So there there are other teams, and I go to the Crusaders. They're one who tend to change that back line quite often, and you know it doesn't always seem that way because they're they're just littered with the class players. But there mm-hmm. is a bit of a rotation sometimes in that back three and in that midfield, and it just happens that way. And everyone who comes into that fold, whether they've started or been on the bench, they they contribute at that top level. And I think that's to get that out of the squad. How do you expose players? How do you get them better? How do you get them learning? How do you get them uh, engaged in a squad week to week if they never play? And I think they've, they've yep, Balen Sullivan probably with their number number one thirteen, the way he performed and you know at parts there wasn't getting another run, so you'd question that. But Billy, did they lose much with Billy Proctor? Possibly Geordie moving around. I think Geordie played really well at twelve, and Morby I thought was really good at fifteen at times. So. It's one of the it's one of those questions where do you develop when do you pick a time to develop a squad across the campaign and you know there's been some selections that have paid off and they've and they've been good but yeah I I think that will definitely be a review point it has to be uh, but equally I think that Hurricane squad um, they'll be kicking themselves for that loss but there'll be some players there who will be pretty excited about what the future looks like for them. Okay, final question, mate. Uh, the Chiefs will go back to them. They've got to go to Orange Theory Stadium. They've been there this year and won. Can they do it again? Absolutely, mate. Absolutely, they can do it. Oh, <laughs> but this is where this is, yeah. And and but taking nothing away from the the, the test that's going to be for for both teams. But it's you know it's a it's a big ask to go down there. But a team that has gone down there and done it a few times is the Chiefs. Um, and uh, but not many teams go there and and win. So there's always that record in the back. But I think they're a real chance, and I've, some of their big players really starting to step up. I thought Weber was outstanding uh, against yeah. the Waratahs, but the way he's getting to that breakdown so quickly and clearing that ball and making decisions, that's why they're getting over the front foot and throwing it to these big boys, Tupo Va'i and Brody Retallick in the, in the carry, Tokiaho again in the carry. So these guys, they're all starting to step up, and they'll, when I was... Uh, all those years ago in the in, in the Chiefs, there's there's nothing like going down to the Crusaders. It's one of those ones. It doesn't matter really who, which team it is. You're, you're really fired up for it. So they're every chance. They've done it in this season, and they'll be they'll be looking forward to it. There's no doubt. Well, Benny, um, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks very much for bringing your stereotypical props uh, soldier haircut to the show. <laughs> have a good Sunday. <laughs> Uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, cheers. Uh, the universal soldier himself, uh, New Zealand's <laughs> answer to Dolph Lundgren, Ben Castle, uh, with us here talking uh, Chiefs and Hurricanes here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Actually, Marshall, before we um, uh, go to a break, I just wanted to ask you, it's something that you kind of touched on around the Hurricanes and the chopping and changing the back line. It wasn't so much the outside backs. It was the fact that it felt like Jason Holland didn't know who his number t- his number one number ten was until about halfway through the season. Yeah, and that doesn't help because w- when you've got the right person pulling the strings, uh, then you certainly, I guess, can revolve your team around that. And you know whether whether it was Garden Bishop or Love or you know in the finish Morgan, there, there was a lot of chopping and changing there, and and that 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 can be unsettling. And then obviously the Geordie the Geordie Barrett scenario where Look, look, at the end of the day, we probably found himself um, in a bit of a, a a dark place in terms of selection simply because of the form of Morby. Like, mm. where, where the hell did his form come from, honestly? <laughs> and even last night, I think he scored twice, didn't he? He did, um, yeah. 
you know, so that that all of a sudden went to Jason Holland. Oh, shit, okay, I've got to try and fit this bloke in somewhere now. Um, well, I'll put Geordie at 12, but is that best for the team? I'm not sure. Uh, and, and then, like I said, the, the, the selection of the back row was, you know, all, all over the shop. Um, look, there'll be, be there'll possibly be reasons for it. He's very, very good coach, Jason Holland. Uh, and uh, you know, Ben made a valid, valid point about the Crusaders and some other teams that have the ability to switch and change. I don't think the Hurricanes had the depth in their squad this year for him to do mm. to, to, to do that, to, to revolve players. He didn't have that type of personnel to step into the mix in key positions. He needed to find a more settled lineup when he could. They were hugely affected by illness and flu and COVID and the odd injury, I think, the Hurricanes. So that that's probably played into it as well. I'm not trying to be harsh by any means. So there's probably a few underlying factors in some of his decisions this year. It's 17 past two here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Ricardo Paul, Justin Marshall with you. Uh, at Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. 0800 150811 is our phone number. 8833 is the temper bed post text machine. Uh, we do have Wallaby legend Tim Horn coming up at 2.30. Up next, I'm going to lob a grenade on my own. It's right in Marshy's path. Stay tuned. It's 22 past two here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run on SENZ with Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall at Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. And uh, Marshall, we've been talking about the All Blacks, uh, this Irish series coming up. Um, here's the grenade I'm going to throw to you. Given the mm-hmm. form of Quintu Pyre and Roger Tui Vasa Sheck, uh, amongst others, Tuama Sumanga Jensen, another one, for me, David Harvey doesn't make this All Black squad. Where are you on that? I've just run for cover. <laughs> <laughs> you lobbed that grenade into my room, and I'm like, "Holy moly, I'm out of here!" Um, yeah, look, it's a it's a real uh, poignant question. To be perfectly honest, Ricardo, um, look, uh, you, you take Anton Leonard um, Brown out of the mix, and you wonder whether or not Ian Foster immediately goes, "Okay, Jack Goodhue's back." The last time Jack Goodhue was involved with Ian Foster, he was in the 12 jersey. Mm. Now, I'm I'm very, very much against uh, JK in this because I know that um, he feels that Goodhue's a 12. But I feel that the best rugby and, and, and when Jack Goodhue got selected into the All Blacks, he was in the 13 jersey. The All Blacks didn't shift him to 12. Scott Robertson did. He, he shifted him to 12 because at that time Havili was injured and he he felt that uh, he was better suited to playing 12 than what Braden Enor was, was, which I agreed with. So they made that that shift. And then all of a sudden, when the All Blacks named their side and, and Jack, got, Jack Goodhue got into the mix, he was in the 12 shirt. And I was like, how the hell? Hang on. Because I, I think it negates the major strength that he has in his game, which is he has a good outside break. Yeah, he runs a good hard line, which you need to do as 12. You know, he can bounce out from, you know, off his right foot and, you know, or left foot and run a good hard line and he's hard to tackle. But when he gets on that outside break and his ability to offload, you know, in the tackle to set up his wingers and fullback, that's where his strength is. Running him into a brick wall, which he can handle, I think doesn't utilise his skill set. So... You know, in, in my mind, he's a centre. So going back to the, the, the Havili conundrum is he's now competing with out-and-out 12s. Now, Roger Tuivasa-Shek, obviously, is an unknown quantity. 
Um, the thing about David Harvelli, which uh, the, the, the All Blacks will like, is his ability to play from 10 to 15. Mm. Um, does he, does he at the moment, have the ability to start for the All Blacks at 12? I'm going to have to lob that grenade back into your studio, Ricardo, and say, <laughs> I think he does. Okay. I, I don't agree with you. I, I don't think he's out of the mix. I think he very much will be... Uh, in their mindset. Um, he, he adds great balance. Uh, some of the things he did the other night, uh, the unnoticeables are benefiting the likes of Seva Reese and um, Fying Anuku and Jordan. His decision making. And and that's an unnoticeable. A lot of people don't pick up on. You know, good 12s have to be good decision makers when a 10's under pressure and shovel it on. If the 12 doesn't make a good decision, that has a massive effect on the rest of the back line. I think David Harvelli is a really astute, good-thinking um, rugby player. And I think that's why, as a 12, he he still has to be in the mix. Mm. It's interesting. I mean, I think you'd probably say that Thomas Umanga Jensen's shoulder problems might cause him a few issues, you know, with all-black selection. But I was looking at the end of last year, you know, those two tests against the South Africans, the test against the Irish, the test against the French, and I thought maybe he was tired, but I thought Harvey got found out in those games. You know, and you talk about running a 12 into a brick wall, he he really yep. struggled with the physicality. I think it was the way they were playing. I don't disagree. He struggled, but that was a really bizarre pattern that the All Blacks were playing. And I think I was commentating the games, and particularly the South African ones, and I've said numerous times, why on earth are they persisting to throw David David Harvelli down that channel? Especially when you've told Nani Laomapi you don't want him, and he's he's that player. If you want a tank, put a tank in the 12 jersey and let them try and run over. Very good, you know... um, Delende and um, Pollard, they're, they're, they're very, very good tacklers, you know, and and they were they kept bashing him into that that zone, and that to me that was just poor poor game management rather than David Harvey's fault. Uh, so, yeah, look, you're, you're absolutely right. They were quite happy to let Lomapi go because he was not to the standard of Ma'anonu, but he was that type of player. Yeah. That, that had that ability to, to to play that type of pattern. But me, the mindset was we're moving away from playing that type of player. Uh, and so so why go into a game plan of throwing a player down that channel when you want to evolve and show the defence something different? So that, that I don't think that was David Harvelli's fault. He's not small, David Harvelli. He's six foot two and he's 100 kgs. He's, he's a big guy. Mm. Um, it was so yeah. I certainly think he's got the ability to carry hard, and he's actually put a bit of weight on as well. So yeah, no, look, he's in the mix for me, Ricardo. Um, and you know, I've, I've, I think I've made my points around why I think he should be there. Yeah, good stuff, Marshy. This is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. It's twenty-seven past two. When we come back, Wallaby legend Tim Horan's going to join us for an Aussie perspective on the quarterfinals. <laughs> It is 28 away from 3 o'clock here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run with Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall. At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Now, we've had Sir John Kerr and a Night of the Realm on. We've had Ben Castle on as well in Jubilee weekend. Of course, uh, wouldn't be complete with someone out uh, without someone from uh, the other side of the Tasman. So joining us is the crown prince of inside backs, uh, Wallaby 12 legend Tim Oren. How are you, Tim? 
G'day, boys. Uh, yeah, I haven't got a serve, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll be. Um, I'm off the bench. <laughs> you're off. The, you're off the bench, mate. Uh, you, you must be just about due one. I mean, if JK's getting one, you must about be, just about be due one. Well, I reckon Marshy will probably get one with the uh, the way he's brewing that uh, special brew we haven't tried yet. Ricardo, I'm not sure. Have you tried any yet? Uh, not yet. No, I haven't. Uh, none of it. None of it seems to escape uh, your Marshall Towers in <laughs> Queenstown. <laughs> That'd be right. It was funny because I get the same niggle from um, the 99 World Cup. I was lucky enough to win a year's supply of Guinness for scoring apparently the fastest try in the tournament, which takes, you know, you have to score it before it takes, quicker than it takes to pour a perfect pint of Guinness, which is apparently 119 seconds, and I scored it in 110 seconds, and got a year's supply of Guinness, and I've got blokes from that Wallaby team still asking for it. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds right, mate. It wouldn't have lasted long in my house. How how long did it last at yours? No, it lasted about two or three years. So um, it was was 365 of those big, tall cans of Guinness, and we converted it back here into Australia to about 10 50-litre kegs, and we used a few at a few, you know, horse betting days with John Eels. used to have an annual one, and now we got through it. Yeah, well, you obviously did because I didn't find its way anywhere near me. So if, you, if, if you're if you're holding if you're holding your breath, mate, to get any anything back from me until you actually deliver on the home front, from your perspective, uh, you you won't go you won't go very far, my mate. Hey, hey, look. No, well, um, Marcy, just just very quickly from memory, that tournament I was going to give you some, but you guys went home early, I think. Oh, here we go. Oh, oh, oh. Next thing you'll be saying four more years. Yeah, that's right. Don't worry. I'm used to this sort of stuff, Ricardo. You know, it, it lasts for two to three seconds and then he moves on to something else. But, um, hey, look. Hey, mate, you've got a team in. You've got a team into the semifinals. How about that? Yeah, very excited. Probably should have had three in there. But anyway, one will do us. And, um, <laughs> yeah, the Brumbies, they were pretty good last night, weren't they? They, you know, down, I think it was like 25-15 at one stage. And the second half was 20-3 to to the Brumbies. A bit of a masterclass in that second half from the Brumbies. They were measured. They were didn't panic. And you know, after the after the Hurricanes got away to a really good start, I think you know once TJ Piranara went off, and then when um, you know Geordie went off for that little bit of period, they just seemed to lose their way with a bit of experience. What, in your mind, uh, is the game plan of the, of the Brumbies? So, so I'm watching them thinking. This is a side that played the Chiefs, who were really well balanced. They used their hard ball runners that they've got in the back row, Samu, Valentini, um, off the back of, you know, a, a really good tight five. They've got real potency in that back line. I think there's 11 Wallabies in the squad. They looked, they looked really good. But, mate, their mojo, if you're, ever, if you're, if you're Austin Powers, mate, I've, I've never seen somebody lose their mojo so much since that game. They've, they've gone back to playing insular and relying on, you know, the scoring from, from driving malls and that. Do, do you see that or am I am I seeing things? What's going on? No, no, I think you're right, Marshy. They, they, I mean, their, their comfort zone is going back to the rolling mall off a, you know, a five, six metre line out. They don't use as much as what they used to. Um, but if there's an opportunity to use it, they'll definitely use it because it's a great strike weapon. And you only have to look at uh, Falao Fungar, how many tries he scored as hooker in the last two years. So, yeah, um, I agree. With, but also they've got, that's not option one, two and three. Now, that's option probably two or three. They've got a really good game plan where you're right, where you know, Pete Sama was outstanding last night and has been all season. Um, I think he should be the Wallaby number eight, the way that he's running the ball, carrying it, 
Um, and then you've got players around him that just get across the advantage line. And Marcy is a former number nine. You look at how quick Nick, Nick White's getting that ball from the breakdown and getting it to... He doesn't care who's at first receiver. He's just throwing it. And that's the way that the All, all Blacks or the, the Kiwi teams have been playing. They have so much confidence that someone's going to be there and deliver. Yeah, well, off the back of that, I just wanted to sort of um, take a slight different direction uh, from the Brumbies at the moment, given, yes, they have got the Blues at the weekend, and we'll get to you that, get to you uh, finally about that before um, the end of the show. But uh, what I wanted to talk to you about was the, the Reds. Um, you know, like, what, what have you made of their season? Yeah, I thought they started really well, Marshy, and, um, you know, until they got some they got some big injuries. And I know that every team picks up injuries throughout this tournament and um, but I think the Reds were probably one of the, the top teams to have really big injuries when you you lose Tanny Tupo, you lose James O'Connor for that period um, Liam Wright the co-captain went really early I think it might have been round one or round two and he's out for most of the season um, some, and Hunter Paisami the last couple of matches so and the replacements did a solid job but I think when you lose big key players we lost two hookers lost a big a couple of front rowers so and the depth was there, and the players who've come in, I think they were you know, outstanding the last couple of weeks against the Crusaders to get, you know, with 20 minutes to go in most, both of those matches, they did pretty well. But I think, mm. for mine, what's, what's got to happen, I think Brad Thorne, I just noticed the last, I might have been talking to you about it in Melbourne, Marshy, around that super round where all the teams came to Melbourne, where I just felt the Reds were kicking too much ball away and weren't backing themselves yep. and giving too much ball back and not not kicking for the right purpose. So I think they've probably got to have a good review and go, okay, well, what, what you know, what back line have we got? We've got Geordie Pattaya, you've got, you know, Filippo Dungunu, you've got, you know, these players that can attack, you've got to be able to use them. And that's what I think they'll probably have to look at in, in their review for, you know, after this season to look at what they can do for next year. So given that, and obviously he had to play some players out of position, well, not so much out of position, but Pattaya is one of them. Um, you look at the, the. You mentioned Nick White. You know, Tate McDermott obviously um, will be will be in the mix for the Wallabies as well. Now, I've, I've had this discussion with you about the midfield that Dave Rennie possibly we were looking back uh, looking at. Now, Paisami, it was good to see him back. Um, in my mind, Pattaya is a centre. He's not. He's not a fullback. Um, and, and also, who's pulling the strings? You know, like uh, the red side with James O'Connor in it is a completely different team in terms of confidence and game plan execution. He makes a massive difference. Is, is is he the player that you see filling that 10 jersey? And if so, you've made your point quite known to me over a, 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 a what, Bacardi and Milk, I think it is, that you have when we're at Malibu, we're don't, don't question it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that you don't you don't see somebody like uh, Parisi um being in the mix, you know, what what does 10, 12, 13 look like to you? Yeah, we've got a we've got a heap of centres at the moment, a heap of, heap of 12, 13s um, options, but not many at 10. Noel Olusiu has been really good this year. I think he's really come on this year with the Brumbies. Last year, um, saw glimpses. He had a couple of injuries. Um, obviously played, uh, I think it was three, might have been four test matches against the All Blacks last year. So he needed a bit more time in the middle this year, um, so to speak, and uh, he's done he's done a great job. And then James O'Connor, you know, wonderful player, uh, has got a lot of um, poise and a lot of structure now to his game. And I think players, 
understand what he's trying to do and he underplays his game to allow players outside of him to, to prosper. And, but then, Marsha, you're right. You look at the centres. You've got Hatapai Sami. Um, you got, they're going to bring back Samu Karevi from Japan, right. so he'll be in the squad. Um, Leniki Tau, of course, red-carded last night. Does he get a week or two? How does that look? Probably usually three weeks, which seems the norm. So he'll still be available for the England Test Series. Um, and you've got Geordie Pattaya. Um, so where do you fit them all in? I think that the area where we're really short is at fullback at 15 for the yeah. Wallabies. Um, Tom Banks playing some good footy. Um, you know, probably didn't play up to his standard for the Wallabies early last year. And so the hard thing you say, Geordie Pattaya don't seem as a fullback, but we need to find a 15 that's going to be in that Wallaby 15 jersey for the next two years through to the World Cup. That's the challenge that Dave Rennie's got in the back line. Tim, does that force Dave Rennie's hand a little bit then when it comes to the three Wallabies he can bring back from overseas? Because if Tom Banks is going to um, take the money and run after this uh, tournament and go to Japan, um, then I'm surely he's going to be having to look at a Curtly Beal or someone r- rather than a Quade Cooper. Yeah, well, Curly Beal's going to come back into the fray and... Um, the hard, I think the three people who'll, I mean, Curly Bill's coming back anyway, so he's back. He'd be back in Australia now. Um, you would think he'd be potentially part of a squad because he is signed for Super Rugby next year for the Waratahs. Um, I think the three that he'll bring back. I don't think he'll bring any Fords back from overseas. He's allowed three players per tournament per Test series, so I think early on he'll bring back Samu Karevi, Marika Korumbedi, and probably Quade Cooper. Um, because we're a bit short in that 10 jersey. Um, I think Quade did a great job last year. If I was a selector, I'd be saying, Quade, thank you very much. He did a wonderful job for us last year. Um, he virtually saved us last year. Um, but you've got to be picking players now who are going to be right for the World Cup. Uh, is Quade at 35, maybe 36, he might be by World Cup next year. I, I'm just not sure. But certainly the first two, Corinbetti and, and Karevi, yes. Um, um, I would have loved to get someone like Will Skelton back, you know, after his performance in the the Champions Cup over in La Rochelle. That's, um, you know, it would have been great to see him back in Australia. Absolutely. Let's um, let's track back then to, let's say all of a sudden that um, it's impossible to get a, a Guinness out of your house. That a golden goose came <laughs> along and laid an egg in your backyard, Tim Warren, um, which no doubt you'd snaffle up pretty quickly and said, oh my goodness, Tim, this golden goose has delivered the egg, which has got the Brumbies into the final. You looking from the outside in, the Chiefs, the Crusaders and the Blues, out of those three sides, which side would you be most worried about the Brumbies playing in a final? What 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 have you seen out of those three sides, those New Zealand teams, as being the, be- the, the best side? Oh, I think the Crusaders, um, no doubt, are going to be really hard to beat because, and Marcia, you've been part of that organisation for a long time. You're always slow starters. Um, in the competition. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year, you know, they rested a lot of players, but the depth that the Crusaders had to bring them through those first four to six rounds with, until, you know, Richie Mawanga and the, and the big guns get back. And, you know, that last 20 to 25 minutes uh, of every match, you can see them explode, you know, you, the way they've been playing. Sever Reese, how good was he the other day? And so I think that's... I think the Brumbies can knock off the Blues. I've got no doubt about that. If, if they're on top of their game... Um, and they've got an ability to probably slow the ball down a little bit for the for the Blues. Um, but I think that's going to be a wonderful match next Saturday night. And, you know, the Blues, of course, as you guys know, have only lost one game this year and against the Hurricanes. I think they might have been round two. So 
that that'll be a cracking match. But you know, we'll we'll soon we'll know who they're going to play, of course, on Friday night. But the Crusaders, yep, hard to beat, and I think it's pretty good for the Chiefs too to be in a semi-final, considering you know how they started their season, those first four or five games. I uh, appreciate your thoughts as always, Timmy. Um, just very quickly, could you uh, entertain our listeners by by telling them exactly why a good um, legend of the game, two Rugby World Cups, uh, everything else that you've achieved in your career, after a couple of cold beers, why you do go to a Malibu milk? It's a very unusual choice. <laughs> well, uh, I think I'm sure a lot of your listeners would have had a bad experience on a um, certain drink. <laughs> Maybe just after school, uh, when it was legal. Um, but like we, we have a thing over here called Bundy Rum, Bundaberg mm. Rum. And uh, I think I had one session on that when I was just turned 18 and never touched it again. So, uh, yeah, a couple of beers and onto the Malibu and milk. It just sort of smooths the stomach and you wake up pretty fresh the next day. <laughs> oh, look at you. Look at you. Good stuff, Tim. Thanks very much for coming on, mate. Uh, we'll have to chuck you on the payroll if we get you on next week. Uh, but go well and um, good luck to your Brumbies. Yeah, thanks, guys. Looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, it should be a couple of cracking matches next Friday and Saturday night. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Uh, Tim Horan here with us at 14 away from three here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. We've got, a, we've got about five minutes left of the show. So if you've got a question for Marshy, 0800 150811, 0800 150811 or 8833. It's nine away from three here on SENZ, uh, the, the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run, Marshy. Yeah, I was um, really enjoying Ben Francis. Very uh, intros with the music he's been playing. I was going to say early on when you when you played the Aerosmith, Ben. I, I do enjoy my Aerosmith. Now many people out there might not know this, but I'm a vinyl man, so I've got a record okay. player. I'm old school. Yeah, yeah. And that's one album that Aerosmith's greatest hits that has been very elusive to me. I would like to get my hands on it. So if anybody out there knows whether or not it exists um, on vinyl. Mm, I'd like to get my hands on it, to be perfectly honest. I'll have a look for you, Marshy. There's a couple of a couple of decent record sh- uh, vinyl shops up here that I that I yep. know that uh, if anybody's going to have it, they'll have it. So I'll have it, I'll have a dig for you. Thank you, buddy. I no. appreciate that. No, yeah, no worries. Yeah, and, and you wonder where that comes from, eh? <laughs> Nothing to do with my um, my bogan days with my my mud flap down south at all. <laughs> no, I, you know I could I, I remember the days with the uh, with, with the with the bleach highlights and the uh, and, yeah. and and then you had the mud flap down the back the uh, Matilda mud flap mate it was a, it was a good look. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. No, I never quite went to the the point of a Johnny Slash, but uh, yeah, I certainly was rolling the mullet. No yeah. doubt about it. Indeed, you did it well, mate. You did it well. Now Bruce has joined us on 0800-150-811. He wants to talk All Black Lucy's, and given we've got a few down at the moment, Bruce, it certainly uh, opens the conversation up, doesn't it? Uh, Ricardo. Hey, mate. Hey, um, Justin. I'm gutted for Ethan Blackadder. Absolutely mm. gutted. Um. Potentially, I assume this makes uh, Foster's job uh, a wee bit easier in the decision. Hey, do you think Cullen Grace has a reasonable chance to come into the as a as to play number eight, and obviously Sabia will go seven, and and maybe Sam Kane may be fit enough to play six. Oh, really, really good question, Bruce. Because when you think about the way that. The All Blacks need to move forward. And, and I mentioned it earlier mm. in the show. I think they need a genuine number eight. Now, there's no doubt that Cullen Grace is a number eight. I think the fact that they tried him on the blind side didn't work. And, and I think he's no. really found his feet. The, the other, I believe the other evening he got named um, as uh, the, the, the player of the season 
uh, for the Crusaders, which is which is no mean feat given the quality that's in that squad. Yep. So, yeah, so he's certainly come a long way. Um, but you know, the the fact that the matter is that the, the, it's where the compensation comes in, mate, because you know Sam Kane is not a six, so it, it's right. Well, if we're going to play Cullen Grace at number eight, then you know Sam Kane, Sam Kane, who's the All Black captain, current captain at the moment, either plays seven or he doesn't play in my mind. And that's a big call, I know. Um, so, you know, we've got to think about the, how we balance that back row. Like, are you still an advocate of, all right, well, the player's good enough. He doesn't usually play there, but we'll play him there anyway. Oh, look, I, I, straight up, I, I think it's too risky to put Sam Cannon in there, to be honest. Uh, yeah. He's only one one horrible head knock or injury away again from, you know, probably retiring. Uh, it's a, and we've got a we've got a plan going forward. Um, I'm more than happy to have Sam Whitelock as the captain. He's he is um, he's got to be the the number one lock chosen surely, and 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 should be leading the team as far as I can see. Um, Papa Lee, is he? He's not likely to be out for a long time, is he? No, he's not. Series? No, and that's a good point you make, actually. It's a really valid one because I think he's been outstanding this year and he's big and he's a different style open side and it'll be mm. really interesting to see whether he, he comes into the mix, you know, like, you know, what you say about Whitelock as well. You know what? I was actually thinking about that and thinking, you know, across the board now, leading into that Iris test, who who mm. who is you know, Aaron Smith's injured at the moment? Who is absolutely guaranteed to be starting? You know, like, like I couldn't absolutely say who would be a player that is able to do that at the moment. It'd be Bowden Barrett or Sam Whitelock. Pretty much those two, I think, are your guarantees. Uh, thanks very much for your call, Bruce. It's an interesting conversation to have. I think uh, it's something that the All Blacks going to have to look at because if Sam Kane has all the injury problems he has and then isn't your first choice yeah. seven, you can't just select him because he's the captain. Yeah, and there'll be many in the South Island that don't agree with you saying Bowden Barrett is an absolute shoo-in either. Um, as many would about Sam Whitelock, probably, as well. Yeah. It's so interesting. Oh, it is interesting. We'll get more into this again next Sunday when the Bunnings trade rugby run is back. Thanks, Marshy. Go well. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.